Hey, and welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where I chat with interesting people who I find fascinating and are doing cool things, uh, but more importantly, inspire me to get out of my comfort zone. Uh, I chat through with them about the stuff that they're up to and see if we can find strategies that they use that we can apply to our lives about getting uncomfortable and approaching challenges. Today I am chatting with Lynn Red Patterson. Um, now some of you guys might know that name if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while. Lynn first appeared back in episode 24, uh, sort of September time last year as she was kayaking around the outside of New Zealand. So Lynn's since finished her journey, and today's chat is about the completion of the journey, and also about what she's been up to since then, and more so what she learned from doing that journey. And we get to hear her pearls of wisdom about that today. So today's conversation, we chat about learning patience and acceptance. We talk about how Lynn responds to situations when they go wrong. We talk about learning to accept and deal with emotions. Uh, Lynn tells us about dealing with all the negative comments and the naysayers uh, that she encountered as she went on her epic kayaking odyssey. Lynn also tells us that uh, we're being brainwashed into thinking that city life is is normal. It's what we should all be doing. But actually, being normal is going out and being adventurous and chasing things that you're excited about. Uh, I always really enjoy having a chat with Lynn. She tells a great story and she's very, very insightful as well. So... If you guys like what you hear, make sure you share the episode out with your mates. Um, hit that share button on your podcast app so that they can all benefit from Lynn's wisdom as well. Thanks so much for getting uncomfortable with me and Lynn today. Welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Uh, thanks for sharing a little bit of time with me this evening. Hey, that's um, not a problem. It's really, really um, nice to talk to you again, uh, yeah. Chris. It's great to be great to be back in touch. I was actually having a conversation with uh, Paul Pitch the other day, uh, and he said, "What have been some of your favourite podcasts?" And I was like, "Well, I actually, actually, Lynn was really, really good. I, I need to get back a, back in uh, in touch with her." So. Thank you, Paul, for uh, catalyzing this conversation. 
Oh, yeah, Paul. Paul's amazing. I'm actually quite jealous of Paul because I, I still follow him um, avidly on on some of the social media, and and he's headed back into a favourite part of the um, country, into the South Island to um, live and on a bit of a camper van life. And um, I'm always really jealous of um, um, seeing his um, um, social media um, posts. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like he's sounds like and looks like he's having a lot of fun at the moment. Um, but we're here to talk about you today, Lynn, and your kayaking odyssey around New Zealand. Um, now, when we when we caught up last, you were coming up the west coast of the North Island. You were about off New Plymouth, so you still had a couple of months to go. And I want to talk about that, but for the people that haven't listened to that that first episode, and they should go back and listen to it, obviously, but can you kind of just give us a little bit of a, a brief rundown about sort of the motivation for that trip and um, a little bit about the logistics, sort of how long had you been going for by that stage? Okay. The the motivation from the trip, yeah, it, it, it came from, from a wacky idea of thinking there were far too many hills in, um, in New Zealand to push bike and that the coastline would be uh, far more beautiful and, and calm, calmer to um, paddle on. That that was the, the crazy thought pattern to start with. But then it, um, it, it, it sort of morphed into something far more as, as the dream sort of became more of a reality was that I sort of linked up and said that exercise was the best medicine for um, everybody and it was partly to do with the fact that um, working or dealing with my son who suffers from depression and and just saying that it's really great for everybody whether the carers or the people suffering to get out in the um, open and and, um, and exercise uh, it's great for the mind it's great for the body and and that's sort of what gave me the kick if you like to get going was the fact that you know a, a mum dealing with it it's a very solo experience and and connecting up solo kayaking uh, mentally and physically it's a big challenge um, and so is dealing with someone um, with depression or if you're suffering from depression so, so in a nutshell I, I left from Takapuna in, in Auckland um, planned to be away from home yeah you know I picked a, a number which seemed re- realistic which was six months 180 days and I travelled south from Takapuna down the east coast to the North Island across Cook Strait uh, east coast of the South Island to the to bottom then I took a little bit of a, a, a tour around Stewart Island because I said that I had to complete that as well and then started the task of coming up um, from February uh, 2016, the west coast of the South Island, um, all the way up um, the west coast of South Island, back across Cook Strait. And then, you know, we, we talked, I think it was mm, August, around August, September time, we talked yeah, in uh, Taranaki. Taranaki, and I was just sitting waiting for the weather, uh, 2016. So that was well over 180 days, though. <laughs> uh, but you know, I was, I had my mindset on completing. Yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. And I think people should go back and have a listen to uh, to the last episode that we did with you because it, it goes into a lot more depth about sort of the, what was what was behind it, but also um, some some challenging and funny stories from uh, from the trip. Um, but we'd we'd left you off the coast of Taranaki, waiting for the weather to, to turn. Uh, back in sort of August, September last year, can you 
so obviously headed north from there. You didn't have to wait too long for uh, to get back out. I, I think I was. Um, I waited around about once I got into New Plymouth. I, I waited around about eleven days um, to to get out of New Plymouth, um, and then then we we got really skilled at. at, at planning the west coast as in there was a uh, pull out points that you could land on and you sort of had to make those pull out points or otherwise it became a logistical um nightmare of you know either breaking another kayak which I did break in the south island um so we we planned it really well and and we we always um probably sometimes to my my horror we had a, a parameters of the weather and the horror was the fact that I wanted to push out probably in, in in rougher conditions, but whenever I did it was never a good idea and I used to regret it. So we set the parameters out to um what we would paddle in, the waves, the swells and the distance and we spoke a lot about not pulling in short or if I pulled in short I had to have a, a an escape plan of where I pulled in. So we, we, we planned the west coast um North Island um to in detail, um, and we stuck to those plans because uh, we we'd learned earlier on if you if you broke your plans then um, or changed the plans then things usually started to go wrong or, or that's when you had a disaster happen. Um, so yeah, there was there was a lot going up that coastline where locals used to look at me and go, "There's nowhere to land. What do you mean you're going to kayak? <laughs> it's a really rugged coastland. No one even goes out on their boats unless it's." this weather so uh yeah we we, we planned it and um to that that stage of it i mentioned you talked to me once you said oh you know i'm going to congratulate you you're nearly to the top and i went i've got actually the two worst harbors to get across in the whole of this trip yet um and don't congratulate me till i get to the top um because i i still had a whole lot of doubt in my well doubt in my mind that things could go wrong um up that section of coastline mm. um yeah was the planning that you had to do, Lynn, was that quite unique to the West Coast? I mean, had you had you really had to get into the, that detail in terms of your plans prior to that, or could you just kind of go? No, the, the, the planning um, and the, the more you uh, dissect the journey um, since I've been home, the planning was like it, it totally imperative and, and probably was one of the reasons it was as it was a success because you know there's the whole that whole saying um um and now I've got to get it right uh if you if you prepare if you don't prepare then prepare to fail yeah um and it, it's always this thing and I I remember and and then years ago when I was in events I used to some people used to come and say oh we're just going to wing it and the moment you say you're going to wing something, there's usually some kind of hiccup that can go wrong. And, and for safety reasons, especially when you're kayaking solo on, on the West Coast, the Tasman Ocean, um, you, you have to plan um, and you have to, you have to stick to those plans. Um, and, and so it became more apparent as we got further into the remoteness. Um, when we were first on the North Island East Coast, you know, you could probably, somewhere else you could bail and come in um, but further down the west coast um, you get to the wire wrapper and round by Cape Palace and that it became more imperative to know exactly where you're going to pull in where, where checkpoints were going to be and it 
you know, as I said, you know, when we just dissect the trip afterwards, people ask me, you know, what, what, why was it a success? And one of the things was the, the, the detailed planning and the maps that we used to look and stare at for hours upon hours. Mm. So yes, yes, it was important. Yeah. And more always... so for the West Coast. Yeah. Have you always been kind of a, a plan orientated person? I mean, was that something that came easy for you on the trip? Um, as I, uh, I never used to be, I, I used to be, um, uh, you know, bull at a gate, someone tell you, you can't do something, you go and do it, whether it's, even if it's wrong, you go and do it to try and prove a point. So I've learned the hard way. I learned the hard way about the fact that you've got a plan or otherwise it can turn up be a disaster. Um, so wing it to me sort of puts a, a, a fear down my, my spine now when someone says they're going to wing it. Um, uh, whereas, uh, yeah, when I was younger, it would be, oh, it'll be fine, don't worry about it. But, you know, after I broke some of my plans further south and ended up, you know, breaking a kayak, uh, I sort of had to listen to that inner voice a little bit more. Yeah. And since the the trip's finished, have you carried on with kind of that planning mindset or have you slipped back into the the winging it uh, stage a little bit as well? No, the the, the planning mindset's um, uh, entrenched, (laughs) (laughs) entrenched in the mind. In fact, I get the anxiety feeling sometimes when I haven't planned something and I'm going, I'm really not sure what's going to happen now. Um, no, so it's, sadly for some people, it's very much, I, I like to know where it's going. Even if I'm going out training for a week, if I'm training, I like to know what my training regime is going to be for the week. Um, I like to know what I'm going to be doing when I hit the gym in the morning. It's, uh, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Okay. I want to dive into that a little bit more, Lynn, before we, we talk a bit more <laughs> about your trip, but <laughs> if a plan goes wrong for you, how do yep. you react? How do you respond without having that certainty? I, I'm actually good at thinking on my feet, um, and that comes down to um, um, a long time working in events and out catering and hospitality. You have a plan every night. You have a plan of your service. You have a plan of what how something's going to work. Um, but there's always curveballs that happen and that luckily for me is a skill that I, I've learned along the way in my working career of, of dealing with those curveballs and being the one that had to solve the curveballs because you were you were in charge. So I, I was always looking out for them. So in our in our main plan, we used to always have an A, B and C backup plan the perfect world was the a plan and then if something went wrong it was a b and a c plan um and yeah and and that that's how we we worked and and thankfully the careers that i've been and have taught me taught me those things along the way Mm. so you're you're someone that has kind of loves a good plan but has almost trained yourself to deal with different eventualities as they pop up Mm, I I think I think I don't know whether I've trained myself. It's just a it's a, a skill that I think is in you and in, in your DNA when you're born. You know, some people can cope with disasters and and chaos when it when the plan doesn't go right, and and other people sort of fall apart. And and luckily for me, the DNA as I've got older 
has um, has 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 got bigger and better. Um, you know, and you've had more situations to deal with along the way. So um, it it has it been a, a major help. I didn't think at the time that my work career would help me on this, but it definitely did. Mm, mm. And we've got on a little bit of a tangent here, but yeah, I I agree with you in, in the fact that I think that people have kind of different capacity to, to cope with um, with challenge and with eventualities, but I think if you kind of continually expose yourself to a a challenge or a, a situation that makes you uncomfortable, you're going to be able to slowly get better at dealing with that as long as you don't kind of ex- really overextend your capacity so that you fall apart completely. Yeah, that, that, that's that's actually a really, really, really good way of describing it. Uh, is you don't think you're exposed. You know, life exposes you to uncomfortable things all the time, and it's um it's interesting because when you go through these life um, experiences or matters that happen, sometimes they're an absolute disaster or they're they're really hard work, and you're going, "Why? I ca- I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this." But you actually do deal with it. And then you grow from that. And and I think, you know, I, I left Auckland as a good paddler. Um, but I, I seriously was, uh, you know, I'm, I blow myself away with how good I am now. Um, and I didn't think that could sort of be, you know, that would you'd grow that much. But you do every time you push yourself a little bit more into a, a difficult situation on the water or, um, you know, weather or something breaks down um you you deal with it and then you're you become even a stronger person from it so your whole um uncomfortable is okay is is i i admire that whole saying because it's true Mm, yeah and i think sometimes you get into those situations as well that you don't necessarily appreciate how far you've come in terms of how much you've kind of built yourself as a person because obviously you're kind of sitting with yourself every second of the day, so you don't you only see kind of incremental changes and like really like instead of someone that is looking at you from the outside and kind of ha- catches up with you sort of once a month or so, and they see these massive steps that you've made along your journey. And it's not until you kind of take the time to to sit and look back and reflect on where you started and compare it to where you finished up that you actually see how far you've come along that journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. When I when I left or when I said I was going to do this journey, everybody said, "Oh, you'll be so different when you come back. You know, it'll be a life changing experience." And I said, don't be so stupid, you know, I'm going to be, I'll be the same as who I am when I left, you know, it's just, I'm just going to be gone for 180 days um, <laughs> and I'll be the same. But um, no, you're not, you're seriously not. And I'm a uh, a better person for, for being away and doing what I've done. Um, you know, I was, I was nothing wrong with me when I left, but I'm, I'm far more compassionate. And, um, you know, I use the word vulnerability, um, and, and relish in the fact that I, I, I feel vulnerability now. Um, whereas before I left, it was like, um, you know, I'm tough and nothing's going to bother me and I'm going to cry and, you know, I'm going to be fine. But, you know, actually to be vulnerable and cry and feel all of those emotions was part of the journey for me. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. And I was going to save this question for later, but we're on a roll with it now. Let's let's ask it now. So how has this journey reframed your life, do you think? Oh, that, that's still happening. Um, how's it reframed my life? To, to um, date. Literally, today. At, at the moment, um, just getting out there and... and being brave enough to to share my story with others because when I when I I was doing these this kayaking adventure I was just like I'm just paddling, and when I got back I I've been talking to a lady and she's been helping me put my story together as a as a presentation, and she looked to me after my first come and she said to me, "You can't say you just did a little paddle around <laughs> New Zealand," <laughs> it's, <laughs> because it's a and she's. <laughs> A very Kiwi attitude, and she said to me, it's an incredible story. You have done an incredible thing. So I, I had to actually re-look at myself and to go, stop being so, like, humble and so, um, oh, it's just a little wee paddle, like, you know, not much, anybody can do it kind of thing, and sort of re, re-look at myself in the mirror and go, you know what, you've done an incredible, amazing thing. And it's made me want to go and share it with, um, more so, share it with the kids and want kids and people to go and, and actually live their dreams. So I sort of want to be, uh, the wrong word, motivational is wrong, inspirational to people um, and show people that anybody, you know, just a normal lady who works in events can um, decide after 10 years to go and kayak. You know, when I first wanted to go and kayak, I didn't own a kayak and I paddled probably two or three times. So I wasn't an Olympic athlete or, or anything like that, but it, it shows um, anybody can have a dream and if they want to sacrifice, they can they can achieve that, that dream. Um, so I've changed a lot in the fact that I'm not so... Um, um, humble about about it, but I'm also very compassionate and try and be uh, say thank you when people people say hey you know what you've done is really incredible you know they give me a compliment and I sort of just go thank you and, and I accept it and I try not to um, say oh no 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 it's nothing kind of thing so I I've sort of changed in the way I'm, I'm accepting people's compliments. Um, far more um, vulnerable and um, admit ad- emotions more because I, I just had to deal with my emotions out there and, and accept that they were going to come in waves, um, especially that was a whole lot of solo stuff um, further south. And, yeah, I, I just think I'm I, – I, I think I said to you, I smile from the inside out and I still smile from the inside out most days. You know, I, t- I tell you what, I don't have great days every day, but – that's like that's like everybody, mm. um, but yeah, I do definitely smile uh, a lot more, and and things have become, uh, I, I call it first world and third world problems. <laughs> a lot of things that we moan about are very first world problems, um, and there's a lot of things that you know I sort of go, and you know, is that really a problem? Uh, and and my classic is, is that really a problem that your coffee's a little bit cold that you've got from that really busy barista? No, it's not really a problem. Um, so those, those kind of things. It's first world problems and third world problems. That's how I, I rate it now. Well, cool. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that, Lynn. That's that's really awesome to hear. And it sounds like you've just kind of really just opened up as a person from the experience. 
Yeah, I, I have, and I, you know, I've got to thank that a lot to the people I met along the way, because uh, they were the New Zealand community were incredible, and I, I, I can't say that enough. You know, they are, they are everything that we say Kiwis are all about, uh, and more. So they, they help me um, have a lot of belief in, in humans and human nature and generosity, and so they let you become who you are yeah very cool and i my mate alex asher ran up the uh, west coast of the north island at the start of the year and he had a very similar story about the the kiwis on the on the west coast of the north island and he said actually when you ask people for help you give them the opportunity to kind of share who they really are for you as well and I think sometimes we don't do that enough, actually. We don't ask for ask for help and we don't kind of throw it out there and, and let people be generous. No, no, we, we certainly don't. And and we learnt that, yeah, if you if you ask for help, and, and I think on my website I, I, I'd learnt to say I, I, I needed to ask for help and you have to ask for help. And people uh, like... People like helping. We we all like helping, and we all like putting a smile on someone else's face. So, the locals were incredible. And I do remember seeing your your mate. Um, actually, I'd finished by that stage, and I remember he swam across the Kuiper. Yeah, crazy, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yes. No one of the locals wanted to help him. He swam across the Kuiper, and I was just like, "Really? Okay, that that's really brave." Yeah. 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 Well, that's actually a lovely segue. Let's go back to the West Coast with you, Lynn. And uh, do you want to talk us through your, your journey from uh, New Plymouth North? Um, and actually, do you want to tell us about crossing those harbours? Because I imagine that was pretty tough, even in, in a kayak as well. Well, once I, I, I sort of always had pinpoints or places that I was aiming at. So I, And one of my support group, Anna, who was with me at the time, said to me, you know, I did a record paddle from um, just into Opanaki, which is south of New Plymouth. And I, you know, it was an 83k day. It was my biggest day um, ever at that stage. And I remember getting into New Plymouth and then I, I she said, I went, oh, I can't wait till I get to Raglan. And she went, but you said you're going to be happy when you get to New Plymouth. You're never happy <laughs> until you, once you get there, you're never happy and you want to go to the next place. So I do remember talking to a lot of locals around that area, and there's a point north of um, uh, New Plymouth up. And it's called Albatross Point. It's past um, just before you get to Carthia, and that was sort of my aiming point to get around that point. And we we spent a lot of time sort of traipsing up and down in the camper van, which, um, as you remember, we called Cuzzy. So Cuzzy, the camper van, um, was going up and down the coastline and we were checking out lo- locals and where we could stop. And and we asked a lot of people, and I remember at one place called Maricopa, which is a little bit south of um, Albatross Point, we were standing looking at a river mouth and these locals said, hey, you want to go fishing? What are you doing? So we told them what we were doing. So they took us out in the fishing boat and actually went and showed us locations south of there where we could we could land 
and they were incredible. They were really cool. And we also drove around some other places and um, went and talked to the local dairy owners. And, and we had a quad bike and we could like stay in his batch if we got around to Albatross Point. So we sort of aimed and got around to, got just um, south of Maricopa where these fishermen told us to, to land. And then my aim was um, not to go any, into any of the harbours because you can only get in when it's high tide. Or when a, when there's a you know it's it's sort of just on high tide and it's sort of just doing nothing, and then you've got to get out when the weather's right, the tide's right, and it's daylight. So we decided that we wouldn't go into the harbours unless something was really bad hap- that we had to go in. So we just landed South America, and then I was aiming for um, basically for Ragland, and I remember doing the the up past Ragland and we got and sat and looked at Ragland a few weeks early and went there's four metre swell coming in here this is like a surf beach and I felt sick (laughs) thinking about it going it's never going to come it's like the best surf beach in the whole of the west coast why is it ever going to look anything less than a four metre and I do remember talking to um, um, someone on the phone and everybody was always full of really Um, sometimes disaster stories and I remember they said to me the message came across the phone like do you realize in Ragland there's a really really bad rip at Manu Bay all the surfers use it but if you fall out there you'll end up out the back of the surf break and I sort of took this really deep breath and said if I hear another disaster story on this trip I actually might throw throw my phone (laughs) thank you very much but I don't need to be told I'm still dreaming about the four meter swell I've got to get through but as you know your worst nightmares then everything you worry about I got to um, Raglan and just cruised into the boat ramp there wasn't any swell at all because we picked the weather really really nicely Um, and yeah 99% of everything doesn't doesn't happen and I remember actually as I paddled in there this is my memory of Raglan to um, uh, Maui Dolphin um, jumped up just south of Ragland um, and I, so I managed to see the rarest dolphins in the world and then I paddled into Ragland and I I did spend quite a while at Ragland waiting again on weather because it was it was that pre it was sort of spring and so the weather sort of came and went and I stayed with friends up further at Port Waikato um, which is a very nasty section of beach and, and another surf club <laughs> <laughs> which you don't want to come into. But I planned that really well. Again, we did a lot of, I did a lot of driving um, there and checked out Manukau Heads um, and found a little nook that no one else had known about landing at, a place called Hamilton Gap, which is 7K south of of Manukau um, Heads, if you like, of the where the bar and everything is. And I, I pulled in there after a big 70-odd K day and then we planned it and the weather was okay and, and took off out the back of um, Manukau. Uh, I was lucky um, with Manukau that was calm and uh, there was a, all I had to dodge was all the other fizz boats going out because it was high tide and it was a perfect day to go fishing. So every single person who was near the Manukau was going out fishing that day for sure. And yeah, my I had a, a fairly good landing in at Murawai. I got as far up as I could. Um, just south of the next harbour, Kaipara, and landed on the Murawai beach just before uh, they they let off a whole lot of um, the army 
have a whole lot of um, area where they do um, sort of let off, I don't know, uh, ammunition yeah. near the Kuiper. So you can't land further up there, which I found quite unusual and weird. I couldn't believe there was a section we couldn't go on, but I wasn't allowed on there. Landed in there and, yeah, I got I got, I got a little bit um, dusted up by the surf going in, um, but I, I was going in, so it was fine. And I, then I had to hang around for a little bit longer and wait. Um, and I knew Muraway was always going to be tough for me to go out. I'd practiced on Muraway Beach and I never, never had a nice time launching off Muraway and practicing in the waves. So at a 1.6, 1.7 meter swell dropping, we thought. Uh, so I, I got out about 400 meters. It was, it was a, it was a, a big paddle. We've got video footage of it, which, um, is pretty gnarly. Um, and I got, I got knocked out of, well, knocked out of the boat out about 400 meters out on about the sixth breaker. So had to swim to my kayak and, and clamber back in and then get out over the back of it. Uh, and then, and then attack Piper, uh, which, I think I had a few people on my blog tell me that that was the one that um, I was possibly going to die on. <laughs> <laughs> Just what you want to hear. Because the naysayers, yeah, yeah, the naysayers are pretty good at um, um, telling you all the the negative things that are going to possibly happen to you. Um, my my crew were pretty good at keeping those away from me, but once in a while I used to see the see some of the um, the comments and go, oh, really? I didn't really need to know that. I know it's really bad. Um, did but those, I, uh, Kuiper, did, did those commentators come back after you'd done these things and say, oh, congratulations, you didn't die? A couple of them in their, um, their humorous way did come back and say, you nailed it. Or, uh, I think on that one, I got, um, an unusual way of attacking the Kuiper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I, I, I went pretty close in um, and I didn't take the 5Ks out around the back of the breakers. I, I sort of weaved my way through them. It, it was tough, but uh, Kuiper threw everything at me in that section that you dealt with all the way up the West Coast. There was waves, there were rips, there were churning bits of water that you felt as though you were on a river. Um, that's why I admire your friend for um, even attempting to swim across it um and uh so yeah I, I got through there and i was i managed to get up to a place called um glink's gully uh which i was really excited about and i i was exhausted after that day mentally and physically i was exhausted i, I had a day off the water and then i i got a couple of good days and i i i you just got to take them and i headed up and got as far as ahipara which is around the knock you know at the base of 90 mile beach mm. and i i started to believe it was going to happen um and i and i hadn't dared believe until then because if you start going you know pounding your own chest going yeah it's all on we're doing it um it it can turn bad pretty quick so i got to ahipara and we had to wait a while but we learned in that time coming up the west coast you just studied that coastline until mother nature um decided that it was time for you to, to leave and we sat up at cape Rianga. Um, and Freedom camped up there in one of the campsites and watched the waves and watched the meeting of the seas and got to know when it was good and when it was bad. And a beautiful launch um, out of Ahipara and got to a place called The Bluff. You can't paddle the whole of 90 Mile Beach in one go, um, so you've got to stop at this section called The Bluff. We stopped there. 
And I was really excited because it was my last nailing by the um, West Coast waves, and I knew that I only had one more. I only had one more launch, and and that's how we dissected. The, well, that's how I dissected the West Coast. I I literally on my whiteboard on my camper van wrote how many pleasant uh, uh, departures and how many pleasant landings I'd have, and how many good and ba- or how many bad I'd have. So I'd sort of do this countdown and go, oh, you know, today I've got a bad one, I'm going to land okay. Um, yeah, so I got to. So the bluff, and then I just had the last push up to um, Cape Reinga, and and when I did go, um, and I've got I've sort of say this sort of tongue in cheek now, Mother Nature and I sort of had it, uh, we were on level pegs, we'd sort of you know come to a peaceful place in this world, and she said go, you can have a beautiful launch, and I had the most amazing trip around Cape Reinga. Um, it was calm. I stopped at the base of Cape Reinga and waved to the tourists, talked to my crew on my VHF had a big cry and videoed it and then sort of got around the other side to Spirits Bay and, um, you know, we were at the top of the North Island. It was, it was incredible. Uh, Cape Rang is like more, it was um, very spiritual in a way because when we were there, all of these clouds, all the, you know, how they say all the clouds go off the top of Cape Rang, which is all the spirits leaving leaving New Zealand. There was just, it was completely um, cloud encased till I got to Cape Rang and then it just sort of parted and they sort of zoomed away. So I sort of felt, you know, Mother Nature said, you know, you've been all good. You've behaved along this coastline. We're letting you go now. Um, yeah, so that was just before Christmas. It was about 22nd or 20th of December of last year. So I was at top of the North Island and so excited. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful spot up there, isn't it? Mm, mm. Yeah, it is. It, it's um, uh, because I'd been you know, sort of immersed in nature and and the coastline. And, and I just had to learn respect from the ocean and, and, and the weather. So I sort of said, you know, we became friends at the end of the West Coast. And she looked after me on the West Coast. It could have been a lot nastier. Mm-hmm. And then it was just a, a whiz back down to Auckland. Well, I, I I got round the the top. It was a it was pretty quick. Was I got round the top and and got into a place called Hohora um, Harbour, and I was had to stay there. I thought I'd be I wanted to be home by Christmas for some crazy reason, and but I wasn't. I spent another Christmas away from home, um, which ended up being really lovely. And and I had a, a close friend contact us, and he let us stay in one of his really lovely lodges um, further down the coastline until the weather cleared. On Boxing Day, I took off um, from Hohora, and I I had a new record that day. I went from um, Hohora down to Matauri Bay, and I just I did over 85 kilometres that day. I spent about I think 14 and a half hours in my kayak um, all the way down there. So that was that was another when the weather cleared. Um, no matter how beautiful that section of the plane, you can go home now. So I sort of put my foot to the floor and. Um, and took off and from Boxing Day and then it became clear and clearer that we were going to get on in on the 31st of December, which was, you know, that's pretty amazing to finish a year off by finishing the, the paddling mm. off. So we, I managed to get in on the, to Takapuna on the 31st of December, but it was, um, it was incredible. The weather was, was good to me and I just, I sort of learned to, um, um, be like what they call a nomadic person and go when the weather said you could go. How hard was that to learn, Lynn? 
because I mean, you said that you're, really you're someone that pushes, pushes, and pushes, and goes at it like a bull at a gate. Obviously, that was that was pretty challenging for you. That's yeah, patience, learning patience and acceptance. Um, and I used to write a lot about it in my blogs, and I used to say, you know, I'm becoming more patient. And then I'd have a um, a few days of going, I'm not patient at all. I'm going to go crazy if I can't get on this water. And then you'd start doubting your paddling ability. You'd think that you'd lost your mojo and that you're just being soft and weak and all of those things race through your mind. But I had this amazing man um, who has kayaked a lot and he gave me a hat before I left. It's my lucky hat. I used to take it everywhere with me in my kayak. But he's an incredible paddler and he said to me, you're just a nomad and nomads only travel and do what they do when the weather's right. So just enjoy it. When the weather's right, go. When it's not, just live a nomadic life. And it was one of his best sayings and I think he told me that sort of top of the South Island, um, Jerry, he was he was cool, and I used to repeat that to myself a lot. But patience, yeah, you you just you just learn it. Um, I have great days of being patient, and other days of not being patient. <laughs> Haven't got it perfect yet. No, do you have any strategies that you kind of work on patience? Now, I I if I am getting impatient, I always try and take myself for a walk. Uh, if I'm by the ocean, it's better for me because I, I find the ocean and the waves some kind of soothing, even when it's really rough, it sort of takes all my, my stress away. And I, now I remind myself when I start to feel the patience going, I remind myself about my journey. So my journey is always there as a, as a lesson. Um, you know, remember this time last year what you were suffering? Um, and, and that's what we did when we were away um, just on the weekend. Um, we were re- reminiscing, you know, here I'm paddling on a really calm lake in Rotorua last weekend. And we're going, oh, where were you this time last year? Oh, that's right. You'd just broken your kayak and you were at the base of Heafy Track. Where would you rather be about now? Oh, I know where I'd rather, I'd rather be on Lake Rotorua paddling. Um, and just reminding yourself of, of or keep my patience levels up there. Mm. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. And Lynn, what was what was the finish like? What was paddling into that final beach like? Um, what was it like? Um, I made it. I, I, I suppose I downplayed it. It was another day's paddling for me. And it was absolutely a, such a fantastic feeling to have to get out and see all of you incredible people and people I'd never met before, but they'd tell me their blog name. And I go, oh, you're that person. <laughs> so it was really cool to meet all of these, these you know, newfound friends um, and lots of congratulations. But I, I did downplay it for me mentally just to pretend it was another paddling day. And that it wasn't going to be the finish because I think I would have been too emotional. I was emotional enough on the water when a couple of people um, came to meet me before the crowds um, and they were kayakers. And one of my main mentors, um, Mike Scanlon, who taught me how to roll and 
taught me everything I knew and where to go and everything. And he came out and, and, and said a prayer and said, thank you for everybody, you know, God for looking after me. And also I had met another gentleman um, who'd followed me all the way around and started to become an email friend. Oh, oh, west coast of the South Island. Um, and he uh, eventually came and met me in Kaipra. And we, we, we're still really good buddies now. And he came out and um, did a, a Maori um, welcome for me as well. So that was really, really emotional and special. And, and I'll never forget that. Um, so, but by the time I landed and I needed to talk to the TVs and everything, I just sort of pretended it was a, it was another day. Otherwise I would have been a crying mess on the, <laughs> on the <laughs> boat ramp. Yeah. Oh, awesome. That's, it's just an incredible, incredible journey. And how have you gone kind of getting out of the kayak and over the last five months, what challenges have you faced kind of? almost reintegrating back into into city living um well i i didn't come directly home i we jumped in the camper van and we'd i'd already made the announcement a couple of days earlier that when i finish i i don't want to go home i want to go camp on my camper van to my favorite camping site that i'd been to um in coromandel for 18 odd years in a row it was sort of like a, a family tradition. So that's what we did uh, to reintegrate. I did a five-day tiki tour just in my camper van, going to places I wanted to go. Uh, went paddling a couple of days as well. <laughs> um, and just gradually, and then gradually I sort of went, okay, I, I, I have to go home now. Um, and, yeah, I, it was it was emotional to, to actually uh, mentally acknowledge that it was over because it was such a part of my life it was it was me and it was every day and and just to acknowledge it out loud <laughs> um and say look you know um it, it was pretty it was hard um but I was pretty I was gentle on myself to the fact I didn't race and back into doing any kind of work straight away because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and also physically, this 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 is quite a crazy one because you're so used to being on the water, you know, 10 hours minimum, 12, 14 hours, to just go back to a a, a small training regime took me a while not to feel as though I needed to beat myself up physically every day. You know, you get to bed at night after kayaking all day and you're like exhausted, you know. But here, it, it took me a while to not just do, I used to sort of make myself do sort of three hours training every morning to start with because I didn't know, I didn't feel right if I hadn't done it. So that was sort of, you know, you sort of have to retrain yourself in a lot of ways. Um, physically and mentally, um, which I, I didn't sort of think about. The physical side of it, I didn't think so much about. I just thought, oh, you know, it'd be fine. But I used to go to the gym and I used to go and do a run and then i go to the pools for a while and, you know, trying to get that feeling, <laughs> which mm. you can't get unless you go and do 14 hours on the water. Uh, but it also helped me mentally to go and do things like that. And, and um, then I'd jump in my camper van for a couple of days and head to the beach and, and go away on a little adventure. So so that that's what I've tried to do and just find opportunities that make me smile and, and feel happy about um, doing work again. 
Cool. You're still kind of retraining yourself now and, and fitting back in or you think you've you've got most of it nailed? <laughs> well, my saying, and you laugh, it's, my saying is that actually I think what I did and I do is normal and this is not normal where I am now. So I think we've all got it wrong. I think <laughs> I think that normality is going out there and being adventurous and doing and living your dream, and and we're all being um, um, silently um, brainwashed into thinking that what the city life is is actually normal. So I, um, after reading a couple of books, I think well, maybe if I twist it around, it'll seem better on my head. So I'm probably trying to be I'm trying to retrain everybody here that um, what they're doing is not normal. And how are you going with that? <laughs> uh, some days I'm doing okay. If I if I if I flick it in at the right conversation, they do stop and look at me for a moment. And because the standard question to me is like, you know, how's it been being back normal? And I'm going. Actually, I think what I did was normal. And I think what you guys are doing is actually maybe it's not that normal. You know, I think if you, what do they say? If you spend long enough um, um, in a in a uh, somewhere away from something, you actually start believing that is normal. You know, you have to ask that question: What is normal? Mm. Um, and and I ask that question often to people nowadays. Um, yeah, but sometimes in the city it's hard because you get, and I feel it, you get caught up in the uh, the ele- electric energy. Um, it, it's not a nice positive electric energy. It's an energy you. It's sort of, you know, quite like um, nerve-wracking sometimes. Um, yeah, so I find that hard, but I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. I've got, I've got plans, so it's good to have plans and dreams, you see. Yeah, it is, and I think it's always nice to have uh, have something that's challenging you as well. It it excites you, it, it kind of lights you up a little bit, and it makes it easier to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, sadly, I don't have a problem getting out of bed in the morning. <laughs> for some people, they find <laughs> my support crew could like that, testify for that. They hated the early mornings we did. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Um, Lynn, I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, the first one is from this experience, but also from your the rest of your uh, whole life experience. Do you have any methods of approaching challenges or approaching uncomfortable situations to help you kind of work them out and get through them? Um, do I have any? Do you know, uh, like, and this is a really big one. Um, when I was little, I was really shy and people people really don't believe me. Um, and what... And and I still have we we call them um, and we laugh at it and I've got it in my presentation we call them Marjorie moments because my middle name sadly for me and I always found it really bad was is Marjorie and I find it like oh really could you have chosen a better <laughs> middle name for me but we call them Marjorie moments because I'm I'm quite shy and to get out of that shyness I um, I always dare myself inside my head that, you know, you don't want to go and do that, you're having a Marjorie moment, well, actually be brave and go and do it. And you feel 
far better once you've done it. You know, I don't want to go and talk to that person because I don't know them. Oh, I feel really embarrassed and shy. Well, actually go and do it. And I think that's one of my, my biggest things that I taught myself not to be. You know, I, I'm excited. I've got a presentation in front of a thousand kids in a couple of weeks. And the Marjorie in me would have been so devastated and so scared but I've sort of, you know, kicked her aside most of the time. And so I, I, I push myself to do things um, that make me feel better. It's a little bit like, you know, you've got something bad to do in the morning or your toughest task you do in the morning and you feel better by the end of the day. Um, so that, that's, my, that's my one thing I've, I've learned to do. Mm, and that sounds like something that you've had to kind of work on and, and, and train as well. And you still need to kind of keep vigilant around it that Marjorie doesn't keep, uh, creep back in and stop you from doing things that are exciting. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. But again, it's that that if you remember about about what that that person or that, that other person in you can do, you go, um, well, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like this person and you're not going to hold me back. And I, and I think that it's nice if, um, someone sees you and you're talking. You say, you know, actually, I used to be really shy. And they go, don't be so. You couldn't have been. And I'm like, well, yeah, I was. I was dreadfully shy. I used to hide in the toy box when people used to come and visit, um, and 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 hide behind my mum and and never wanted to do anything. So anybody you can, you know, you can make yourself um, anybody you want to be if you really if you really work at it. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Lynn, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Mm. My last uncomfortable thing that I did and how I got through it. You always throw these curly ones in the end, don't you? I do. I do. Um, <laughs> do you know the last uncomfortable thing, and it's not it's not huge, uh, um, was that... I, Mike Scanlon, who was my mentor and, and I love him to this, said, you know what, you're really going to love coming back to Auckland and um, going to the Wero, um, whitewater, man-made whitewater um, rafting place. You know, you're going to love whizzing down all of this white water. He said, I'm really enjoying it. I was like, Mike, I've had enough of rough water and I don't like rapids. But he said, no, 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 you have to come along. I was like, oh, this is going to be a disaster because <laughs> whitewater kayaking is completely different to sea kayaking. It's it's the opposite in every way. You even lean away from the, the rapids, whereas in sea kayaking, you lean into the waves. You know, it's it's opposite. So I went going, this is going to be really bad, you know, and he's telling everybody I've kayaked around New Zealand and how good I am. And I I went and we yeah, said, so can you roll in the, in the wipe the water down the bottom of the rapids? And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And this little kayak, that was fine. And then within 10 minutes, they had me up the ramp. And I'm going, Mike said, just follow me. You'll be fine. I went, no, this is going to be a disaster, Mike. <laughs> this is really going to be a disaster. I can I, I can tell you. And he's like, no, 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 you'll be fine. So, of course, it was. <laughs> we head off down the rapids. And I got through a couple of the rapids and down a couple of the, the little waterfalls and then we hit a barrier and I leaned away, I leaned into the sort of the um, barrier and what happens is you roll upside down and I rolled up again and then I rolled upside down again and I went, no, this is a disaster and just pulled my skirt, 
and like just got out of my kayak and then went with the rapids all the way down to the end and <laughs> the instructor came down and he said to me, I'm really sorry to tell you, but you've actually failed. You can't <laughs> you can't go down that course again until you get a little bit better. <laughs> and I looked <laughs> here's this lady who's just kiked around the whole entire coastline of New Zealand has just failed class one and two rapids. <laughs> I and I looked at Mike and said, I told you it'd be a disaster. And But anyhow, I stayed there for a couple of hours later, like playing in the eddies and learning how to go the opposite way to um, what I've been doing for the past 14 months. So, yeah, that that probably is one of the uh, most uncomfortable times this year so far. I, I, I Yeah, I think so, because, it, you know, it really talks you up. You know, you've done something really amazing, and then you can't even get down the rapids because <laughs> they're different to the ocean waves. Yeah. Have, so, you been have I been back? back? Not. No, no. I've got a couple of friends who want to take me out in the ocean and the rivers, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'll be at port end of Port Waco by the time you like haul me out, or you like let me fall out at Hooker Falls. <laughs> so no, I have I haven't been back, but also because I I haven't been working full time, and it's quite expensive to to go back. So, yes. um, but another time I'll, I I will conquer it, but um, not not at the moment. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Lynn, what is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? Um, my next uncomfortable thing, it's quite funny actually because today I had to make a decision um, between a couple of um, uh, employment positions and the uncomfortable thing for me was that um, one was a, 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 is a quite highly paid position about um, uh, life work balance. And it took me a long time to convince myself because the whole way around I've, I've gone about life work balance and this is far more important and there's no point getting caught up in the whole crazy world because tomorrow you might not wake up kind of thing. And my challenge um, recently is actually, uh, um, what is it to say, walking Talking the talk and walking the walk, that that saying, actually convincing myself to take the life um, work balance position, which which I've done, um, and not taking the one that was going to um, help my bank account uh, <laughs> survive. So biggest challenge as of recent to actually do everything that I, I said and believe wholeheartedly in and, and actually follow through with it instead of just um, returning or converting back to uh, something that you said you weren't going to do. Mm. Um, do you think so that has been for... Yeah. Do you think that's the same decision that you would have made before your trip? No, most most definitely not. Most definitely not. You would have um, been caught up in the whole electric crazy energy of having to tell everybody that, you know, you've got this high-powered Wawa position, um, which I don't feel I can give back to the community and to New Zealand and to the kids and um, do what I want to do for the next 10 years of my um, my working life, if you like. Uh, so to, to seriously have, um, convince myself not to jump the other way. Mm. That's cool. That's very cool. And speaking about those next 10 years of your working life, do you have 
some values that you want to kind of be living that ne- next 10 years by? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, uh, the list is, is, is quite big, but I, I always said um, the further I got into the adventure, it was like, you know, you, you've got to live your dream, you've got to be passionate, you've got to get up every morning and actually actually love what you do because you spend a lot of t- long time doing something uh, that you don't like. It's like, it's not, it's not fun. Um, and you've got to, I believe that you just don't want to be, I don't want to be a cog in the middle of a big wheel that if it breaks down, that cog just gets replaced and you're, you're, you don't leave anything behind. I want to want to be passionate about what I, what I'm doing and, and have time to be passionate with, with others. Um, and you've got to remind yourself all the time of that. And, and I do, uh, and it, it's helpful because we are trying to put my blogs into a book. So rereading your blogs is always a, um, it's like that crazy diary that you have dashed under your bed or some people do. And, you know, rereading those, um, is a really big reminder all the time about what you believe and what you had time to, to, um, think about and, and actually become genuinely passionate about uh, when you're working crazy hours and not having enough time even to just race in and get food or prepare things and that you don't even have time to listen to your, what your mind and your body and your brain really wants to do. So, so yeah, being passionate and excited and taking time out and, and doing things that you want to do with, with people that you want to do it with. Yeah, I think that's a great way to live life. Lynn, I've got a couple more quick questions for you, but I just want to say thanks again for for sharing your time with me this evening. It's always amazing to have a chat with you, but also thank you for inspiring people. Thank you for showing New Zealand and whoever else is kind of listening and and watching with, with all the stuff that you've been doing that really anything is possible if you put your mind to it and and you work hard um and i want to i also want to thank you for your vulnerability and just being open about all the experiences that you've had on the on the journey so a lot of thank yous there oh you're 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 very kind (laughs) thanks for listening i enjoy talking to you oh it's it's a pleasure um lynn Easy question for you. If people want to find out more about what you've been doing, if they want to f- support the stuff that you're doing moving forward, um, or if they just want to connect with you, where should they go? How should they do that? My um, my website's still really is, is, is um, active and I'm still on there. And there's a, the email address and phone number and everything there. It's um, Reds NZ Journey dot um, com um, and they can go on there and link and there's a contact page there and and moving forward the website will be changing and upgrading to to other things that I'm I'm doing you know I, I talked to you briefly about we've got a couple of little recipes that people love that we're we're trying to turn into um, something that people can we can share with people um, and also there's there's the page where I'm doing some um, inspirational talks so and I'm really happy to go to people's to schools and and talk for 
just to inspire kids um, and also if, if, if corporate the corporate world want to hear from me and, and have their staff inspired for challenges, for projects and things like that, then, you know, I, I just asked them to make a donation to, to the charity that I was doing for Mental Health Foundation and, and yeah, so that that's my website. Cool, and I will pop a link up to that in the notes for the show. But before we finish up, Lynn, do you have any messages or maybe any challenges for me and the people listening to the podcast? Um, the, the, the message that I, uh, I sort of delved down to was when I was doing my presentation, people said to me, you know, where did, where did you get your drive and determination from? And I, and I had to think really hard about this. And when I was a child, one being shy, but I was also described as quite pig headed and stubborn and, I kindly turned it into drive and determination because it sounds a lot more polite and and very much more PC. But I I learned a really good word when it were well, a great word when I was little because in my pickheaded and stubbornness I used to screech I can't a lot and my mum used to turn around to me and say there's no such word as can't dear it's just can with a t. Now I sort of switched it around a little bit and and used to use the word. Um, when they said I can't do something, I said, oh, yes, I can. And I now sort of say, like, if someone says you can't do something, just look over your shoulder and go, you just watch me. I can. And and I, I that's exactly how how my I, I've grown up. You know, those I can't became like a challenge word to me. And so can't my challenge word. And I think of anybody utters it and goes, I can't do something, actually stop them. Actually, I can, just watch me. And and that's sort of what I leave a lot of my um, my presentations with now. It's it, that, you know, find your challenge word and, and turn it a negative into a positive. Mm. And I think that's a good challenge to leave everyone with to uh, go out and find their own challenge word. Lynn, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for getting uncomfortable with me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for um, following me and inviting me along to have another chat. It's, it's really been enjoyable. And um, and um, if I have a new um, dream that I dare to tell anybody about, I'll let you know for sure. Oh, excellent. We'll have to get you back as a guest again for, for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed the chat that I had with uh, Red today. Now, I'm very excited actually to see what she gets up to next um, and how she uh, goes on to continue living by this this philosophy uh, that she's developed and, and how it continues to evolve. Um, I took a lot away from that in terms of uh, some strategies to use when getting uncomfortable. Now, if you want to support the show, Make sure that you share the episode out with your mates. Make sure that you click subscribe on your favorite podcast app um, or get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram at uncomfortable is okay. Pop me an email uncomfortable is okay at gmail.com uh, or even send me a tweet at Chris Desmond NZ. I want to thank my brother Jeremy Desmond, as always, for the amazing theme music that he provides. 
And I want to thank all of you guys as well for getting uncomfortable with us today. Have a great week. Thank you.